Section 5 of Handbook of Nature Study. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jill Ingle. Handbook of Nature Study by Anna Botsford Comstock. Part 1 The Teaching of Nature Study. Nature Study and Agriculture. 2. How to Use This Book. Nature Study and Agriculture. Luckily, thumb rule agriculture is being pushed to the wall in these enlightened days. Thumb rules would work much better if nature did not vary her performances in such a confusing way. Government experiment stations were established because thumb rules for farming were unreliable and disappointing and all the work of all the experiment stations has been simply advanced nature study and its application to the practice of agriculture. Both nature study and agriculture are based upon the study of life and the physical conditions which encourage or limit life. This is known to the world as the study of the natural sciences, and if we see clearly the relation of nature study to science, we may understand better the relation of nature study to agriculture which is based upon the sciences. Nature study is science brought home. It is a knowledge of botany, zoology, and geology, as illustrated in the dooryard, the cornfield, or the woods back of the house. Some people have an idea that to know these sciences one must go to college. They do not understand that nature has furnished the material and laboratories on every farm in the land. Thus, by beginning with the child in nature study, we take him to the laboratory of the wood or garden, the roadside or the field, and his materials are the wildflowers or the weeds, or the insects that visit the goldenrod, or the birds that sing in the maple tree, or the woodchuck whistling in the pasture. The child begins to study living things anywhere or everywhere and his progress is always along the various tracks laid down by the laws of life, along which his work as an agriculturist must always progress if it is to be successful. The child through nature study learns the way a plant grows, whether it be an oak, a turnip, or a pigweed. He learns how the roots of each is adapted to its needs, how the leaves place themselves to get the sunshine, and why they need it and how the flowers get their pollen carried by the bee or wind, and how the seeds are finally scattered and planted. Or he learns about the life of the bird, whether it be a chicken, an owl, or a bobolink. He knows how each bird gets its food, and what its food is, where it lives, where it nests, and its relation to other living things. He studies the bumblebee, and discovers its great mission of pollen-carrying for many flowers, and in the end would no sooner strike it dead than he would voluntarily destroy his clover patch. This is the kind of learning we call nature study, and not science or agriculture. But the country child can never learn anything in nature study that has not something to do with science, and that has not its own practical lesson for him, when he shall become a farmer. Some have argued why not make nature study along the lines of agriculture solely? Why should not the child begin nature study with the cabbage rather than the wild flowers? This argument carried out logically 
provides recreation for a boy in hoeing corn rather than in plain ball. Many parents in the past have argued thus and have, in consequence, driven thousands of splendid boys from the country to the city, with a loathing in their souls for the drudgery which seemed all there was to farm life. The reason why the wild flowers may be selected for beginning the nature study of plants is because every child loves these woodland posies, and his happiest hours are spent in gathering them. Never yet have we known of a case where a child, having gained his knowledge of the way a plant lives through studying the plants he loves, has failed to be interested and delighted to find that the wonderful things he discovered about his wild flower may be true of the vegetable in the garden, or the purslane which fights with it for ground to stand upon. Some have said, We as farmers care only to know what concerns our pocket-books. We wish only to study those things which we must, as farmers, cultivate or destroy. We do not care for the butterfly, but we wish to know the plum-weevil. We do not care for the trillium, but we are interested in the onion. We do not care for the meadow-lark, but we cherish the gosling. This is an absurd argument, since it is a mental impossibility for any human being to discriminate between two things when he knows or sees only one. In order to understand the important economic relations to the world of one plant or animal, it is absolutely necessary to have a wide knowledge of other plants and animals. One might as well say, I will see the approaching cyclone, but never look at the sky. I will look at the clover, but not see the dandelion. I will look for the sheriff when he comes over the hill, but will not see any other team on the road. Nature study is an effort to make the individual use his senses instead of losing them, to train him to keep his eyes open to all things, so that his powers of discrimination shall be based on wisdom. The ideal farmer is not the man who by hazard and chance succeeds. He is the man who loves his farm and all that surrounds it, because he is awake to the beauty as well as to the wonders which are there. He is the man who understands as far as may be the great forces of nature which are at work around him, and therefore he is able to make them work for him. For what is agriculture, save a diversion of natural forces for the benefit of man? The farmer who knows these forces only when restricted to his peltry crops, and has no idea of their larger application, is no more efficient as a farmer than would a man be as an engineer who knew nothing of his engine except how to start and stop it. In order to appreciate truly his farm, the farmer must needs begin as a child with nature study. In order to be successful and make the farm pay, he must needs continue in nature study. And to make his declining years happy, content, full of wide sympathies and profitable thought, he must needs conclude with nature study, for nature study is the alphabet of agriculture, and no word in that great vocation may be spelled without it. Nature Study Clubs The organizing of a club by the pupils for the purpose of studying out-of-door life is a great help and inspiration to the work in nature study in the classroom. The essays and the talks before the club prove efficient aid in English composition, and the varied interests of the members of the club furnish new and vital material for study. A button or a badge may be designed for the club, and, of course, it must have constitution and bylaws. 
the proceedings of the club meetings should be conducted according to parliamentary rules but the field excursions should be entirely informal the meetings of the junior naturalist clubs as organized in the schools of new york state by mr john w spencer were most impressive the school session would be brought to a close the teacher stepping down and taking a seat with the pupils the president of the club some bashful boy or slender slip of a girl would take the chair and conduct the meeting with a dignity and efficiency worthy of a statesman the order was perfect the discussion much to the point i confess to a feeling of awe when i attended these meetings conducted so seriously and so formally by such youngsters undoubtedly the parliamentary training and experience in speaking impromptu are among the chief benefits of such a club these clubs may be organized for special study in one bird club of which i know there have been contests sides were chosen and the number of birds seen from may first to thirty-first inclusive was the test of supremacy notes on the birds were taken in the field with such care that when at the end of the month each member handed in his notes they could be used as evidence of accurate identification an umpire with the help of bird manuals decided the doubtful points this year the score stood seventy nine to eighty one the programs of the nature club should be varied so as to be continually interesting poems and stories concerning the objects studied help make the program attractive how to use this book first and indispensably the teacher should have at hand the subject of the lesson she should make herself familiar with the points covered by the questions and read the story before giving the lesson if she does not have the time to go over the observations suggested before giving the lesson she should take up the question with the pupils as a joint investigation and be boon companion in discovering the story the story should not be read to the pupils it is given as an assistance to the teacher and is not meant for direct information to the pupils if the teacher knows a fact in nature's realm she is then in a position to lead her pupils to discover this fact for themselves make the lesson an investigation and make the pupils feel that they are investigators to tell the story to begin with inevitably spoils this attitude and quenches interest the leading thought embodies some of the points which should be in the teacher's mind while giving the lesson it should not be read or declared to the pupils the outlines for observation herein given by no means cover all of the observations possible they are meant to suggest to the teacher observations of her own rather than to be followed slavishly the suggestions for observation have been given in the form of questions merely for the sake of saving space the direct questioning method if not employed with discretion becomes tiresome to both pupil and teacher if the questions do not inspire the child to investigate they are useless to grind out answers to questions about any natural object is not nature study it is simply grind a form of mental activity which is of much greater use when applied to spelling or the multiplication table than to the study of nature the best teacher will cover the points suggested for observations with few direct questions to those who find the questions inadequate i will say that although i have used these outlines once i am sure i should never be able to use them again without making changes 
the topics chosen for these lessons may not be the most practical nor the most interesting nor the most enlightening that are to be found they are simply those subjects which i have used in my classes because we happened to find them at hand the morning the lessons were given while an earnest attempt has been made to make the information in this book accurate it is to be expected and to be hoped that many discrepancies will be found by those who follow the lessons no two animals or plants are just alike and no two people see things exactly the same way the chief aim of this volume is to encourage investigation rather than to give information therefore if mistakes are found the object of the book will have been accomplished and the author will feel deeply gratified if the teacher finds that the observations made by her and her pupils do not agree with the statements in the book i earnestly enjoin upon her to trust to her own eyes rather than to any book no teacher is expected to teach all the lessons in this book a wide range of subjects is given so that congenial choice may be made end of part 1 end of section 5 recording by jill engel